0: And I want to greet you tonight in the name of Jesus, not only those who are gathered here in this beautiful temple, this meeting house, this house of prayers we'd call it in Spanish, but also those who might be listening there are, that might be in other places. Thank you for leading that triumphant hymn of worship, brother. All hail the power of Jesus' name. And I don't know where the brother got to that was leading to singing, but I appreciate the careful selection of those hymns before the service tonight, the beginning of the service tonight. You wonder what the preacher is going to say. You, uh, you come to this meeting and you, uh, you're expecting that there's going to be something shared, something given, something preached, something explained, something to give us direction for our lives. I was over here in this little prayer meeting, and two, two of those brothers that were in there prayed the same thing. Two of them said, uh, you you give Dale direction there. You help him. They're talking to God as they're praying that he would break unto us the bread of life. I came in here, and we soon were singing a song that said, Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me as thou didst break the loaves beside the sea beyond the sacred page I seek thee Lord and I was thinking as I heard those prayers and as we were singing that last hymn what I was planning to speak about tonight I wonder if anyone here would believe that I'd done that if they, if they hear this sermon I was asking myself would they would they consider that to be breaking the bread of life or would they consider that to be something else so that put me on a journey of thinking. And so as the brother was reading from Malachi 3, uh, I was trying to follow his thoughts, but I was also wondering, what am I gonna do with those two prayers and with that last song? And so that was on my mind, uh, still is. I did not have very much of an introduction to these, this week of meetings from the people from here. In fact, until the day we arrived here, I did not even know what the name of this congregation was. So I didn't have a whole lot of introduction to who is here, and I don't think I know very many people here, but I did hear one thing about this congregation before I came. I heard that a considerable portion of the people that attend here on a regular basis Uh, are under the age of 15 years. And I think someone gave me an approximate percentage of the attendees in regular service here that would be quite young children down to baby age. And so when I heard that, I thought that it was probably God's will that I know about that. We'd open the service last night. That was the first evening. My wife came to me me and said, you know, Dale, there, there are a lot of children in this church. So, I was reminded of that then, after the service. And I said that to bring you to this. Many of you daddies and mothers have an opportunity to train up your children in the way that they should go. I would not be surprised, though I do not really know, but I would not be surprised that there are some older fathers and mothers here that wish it would have turned out differently from what it did. Though I don't have any way to document this, I can well believe that there are fathers and mothers who would be feeling better tonight if they'd have children at different places from where they are. And many of us cannot go back and redo anything that we one day did. But I paged through the catalog of your congregation. I think it has a date 1922 in the front of it, 2022 in the front of it. And I paged through there and I saw these families with five, six, seven children. Children from the ages of maybe 15 on down. With all these young families, all these beautiful children, I've sat at the table with some of those children since we're here in various homes already. I see those children there. There's uh, some children that that aren't here tonight because they are not well and either father or mother stayed home to take care of those dear children because they had physical problems. I guess I wonder if any daddy and mother ever stayed home because their children had spiritual problems. I wonder if daddy and mother ever canceled their trip, changed their schedule. The child was worth more. The child was worth more. I wonder. Too late to do it now. If I can change that now. We won't do that anymore. Because there was a spiritual problem in the the, the home, in the life of a son, life of a daughter. I'm working with a preacher right now in a congregation that would consider themselves to be more conservative than what this one is. They might consider themselves to be more conservative than what we are, where we live. The precious minister of the gospel has a serious problem in his home. He has a 21-year-old daughter. And he is really struggling to know to with that girl. What happens there is that uh, because of the kind of communications we have these days, you know, there's social media, there's WhatsApp, there's all kinds of ways to contact each other. And, and she has friends that that send her music. Now, I'm sure that your devices are capable of doing that, and I don't know how they do it. I wouldn't be able to send you any music. But I know there are people that know how to do that. And they're sending this girl music, and... and uh, You might not be in that world, and so maybe this will not help you and not inform you very much if I tell you this, but she's listening to music like such as would come from someone like Britney Spears or Taylor Smith. If you know who these singers are, they are not only singers, they're not only pop singers, but they have a, a mindscape. They have a mentality. They have a... And I'm going to choose my words very carefully here. How do I say the next part of it? Some of these singers feel equally comfortable if you take a picture of them, whether they're dressed or undressed. And the lyrics of their music reflect that mentality. You you imagine a conservative minister representing the people of God and trying to be a prophet, a priest, and a pastor to those people whose own daughter is being is living, feeding on this kind of diet. And the father is not even aware of the depth of and degradation that these singers represent and what is happening to his daughter's heart as she's listening to that. And so he wants help to win his daughter back he says to me, I, I do not have the heart of my daughter. She can talk to me about some things. So we can sit down and visit together. But, but uh, taking turns talking is not communication. And so I thought we might just have a few messages this week, maybe intended to help prevent some things. Maybe it'd be nothing more than some lessons given by those who've already made some mistakes and too many mistakes. But your children are young, many of you. And what do you plan to do for those children? You can open your Bibles there to First Kings chapter 11. I, I'm going to... Uh, Read some verses and I'll talk to you a little bit before I do that. So this message is going to be as negative as I'm going to be this week. and when I heard about breaking the bread of life, I thought, you know, life is powerful and beautiful and positive and healing and nurturing and edifying. It's not negative, it's not, it's not uh, censorious, it's not correcting, it's, uh, it's taking us forward. And, and, and yet, I feel like it might be necessary to be a bit surgical this evening and do something a little bit negative. And maybe that's okay in a revival meeting. Because the word revival means that something's wrong. The word revival means that it's not as it could possibly be. The word revival means that the fire is dying out. That's, what, that's the way the word revival is used in the Spanish Bible. Avivat. The don of the fire of God. And that phrase there in Timothy... In Greek language, it would look like this, that you have a fireplace here, and the, the fire has died down. It is almost gone, and so you must revive that fire. You must uh, stir up those embers. You must get this thing back to a living flame again. Something has caused that to, to die away. And, and so what I want to do this evening is put you in the presence of your children. Maybe one is sitting on your lap. Maybe some are sitting close by side to you and maybe you're far away from here or in your home or in a car driving or you will listen to this tape 10 years from now, but you are, I want you to be conscious of your children. I want to keep you from losing the heart of your children. You know, when a child is small, they love daddy and mother. They are not scared of daddy and mother. They, to them, their daddy, especially, is a miracle worker. He can do anything in all the world. There's nothing daddy cannot do. And he's looked up to and admired with, with uh, total respect. And, and even though daddy is wrong, daddy is swearing, daddy is raging at the top of his voice, daddy is throwing a wrench across the shop, the children, though they think it's something strange and are not sure how to handle what's going on, they don't know what to do the next day, nothing to compare it to. They don't know that there are daddies otherwise, other places, with other, with ch- other children who would never do such a thing in the presence of a child. They don't know their daddies who would walk over and talk to their child instead of scream at them from across the way. They don't realize their daddies who, instead of slapping around and beating on them, would sit the child down and explain what was done wrong and the reason why we're going to have a time of correction here and I'm going to help you to understand that we don't do these things in life. And and I, I, because I love you, I'm going to care for you and I'm going to do this for you and you're going to be a better boy because of it. And after that paddling is over, sits that child down again and said, this is what happened to you and this is, this is the way you can go now and I'm going to help you to do that and we'll do that together. And they walk hand in hand out of that room where that all happened. and. The boy feels very, very close to his daddy. He doesn't understand everything, but he knows one thing. Daddy loved me, and daddy cared for me, and hey, it's okay to be with daddy. It's safe to be here. And you can decide what the two you want in your home. You and I decide that. Our children are innocent. They don't know what's going to come. They, they have to take the consequences. As time goes on, the children learn something. They learn that their homes that are different from where we were raised. They learned that there doesn't have to be anger in the home. They learned those things. And when they find that out, something strange happens between father and son, between daughter and father. Something very serious takes place there. And though the child is still living in the same home and eats at the table, the same spot, the same chair on the table where he always sits, A great distance has come between him and his home. He's going to sleep in that same bedroom tonight where he has slept for the last ten years. But his heart's in a far country. and Listening to Britney Spears and Taylor Smith. Did you get that? If that's hard for you to figure out, I'm finished. If that's hard to figure out, there's no reason for me to say much more tonight. If that groundwork didn't bring us along, know. I don't know what else it would take. And for those of us who made that kind of mistakes, this it's a very painful thing we're going to hear tonight. But to those daddies and mothers, I want to say this, that yet there is hope. I'm going to tell you why. Because there are grandchildren coming and great-grandchildren. And they, you can give them an opportunity to know you in a way that your own children did not know you. You can give them an opportunity to see in you and your wife a relationship that your own children at times did not see that they should have seen. They can see you walk up to that little girl of yours, that's now your wife and she's now grandmother, and they can see you put her, your hand on her shoulder, see you caring for her and speaking kind and gracious and gentle words to her and have a very different attitude about you than what your own children had when you were back in your thirties and early forties. And so I'm to speak in such a way tonight as to help someone prevent losing the heart of his child because you have it when they're little. It's not the, child that, it's not the child's fault if the heart goes away. It's almost always because of what we have done. It's in the heart of a child to feel a great need for father and mother, to feel very good about being close to father and mother. That's built into the heart of a child from birth. Daddies, I'm gonna tell you something that you've, you've already known this. It sounds so redundant. Why even take time in a revival meeting service on a Tuesday evening to say it? me see, I don't see any here. Last yesterday was Monday. Monday one week ago, a little girl was born in a home. The mother is uh, partly Korean. The father was totally American, as far as know last name Martin. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, so that's about as American as you can get. And the uh, little child was born. I saw that child on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon for the first time. And the daddies, listen, I'm talking to you, not the ladies. I'm talking to daddies here. There's one over here too, so you're included. But someday that little child is going to look into her, that, that face of yours, A little child looking at that face and say a word in front of you, say, say, say something that will never say to anybody else ever. Look at you and say, da ta da Never say that to any other man. Only you. How many have you had that experience? Get awake. Da-da. You don't ever say it to anybody else. That's 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 what you start with. That's the union. That's that's the connection. That's the beautiful relationship, and you can lose that. You understand where we're going? I, t- I said we're in 1 Kings chapter 11. One of the words that, in conservative settings, whether it's conservative settings or in Mennonite churches or Amish churches or Presbyterian churches, in conservative settings, a person's concerned about conserving, concerned about maintaining, concerned about being honest with Scripture, concerned about Biblical integrity, concerned about faithful church life in the way we limited a way that we can understand it, whatever communion we are part of, a word that's very, very important is the word authority. And when we think of parents, we, we think of authority. That word seems to be there. And when we think about being a pastor of a church or a bishop or an overseer, that word again comes forward. And when we think about being an employer and have people working with us and for us, we think about the state and the people out there that have places of responsibility and we think of that word authority and we drove past those police cars this evening sitting out there in front of that building. And they go in there because they get some training in there and they, they're they taught how to go out and and hopefully, use their authority in a proper way. And I've seen police officers and that kind of personnel use, uh, use their authority in very beautiful ways, in very humble ways, in very serving ways, and I've seen it not be that way. And their parents, with their children, ever so small, whatever the age they are, that have authority in their home, God gives them that, and they handle that in a very beautiful way, a very judicious way, a very humble way. One of the phrases we heard last week was that, the strength in the kingdom, in God's kingdom, the strength in the kingdom of heaven is meekness and humility. And the strength in the world's kingdom is force. If I can if I'm bigger than you are, can shout louder than you can, shoot straighter than you can, get the bullet into you before you get into me. If I can win, if I can prove how strong I am, if I can overcome you, overpower you, if I can lobby enough to get enough of votes on my side, if I can out outnumber you, if I can overcome you, then then I prove that I have strength. And the kingdom of heaven is completely different. And the one with the greatest authority is servant of all. His name is Jesus. And now we're now we've gone beyond the sacred page and we see we see thee, Lord. When we go there. Now we've gone beyond the sacred page and we see thee, Lord. When we think of the concept of authority, several things come to our mind almost immediately. We think of those who abuse authority. There's such a thing that we call at times delegated authority. All of us are acquainted with the term submission to authority. And that comes very close to the concept of obedience. We think about that. But unfortunately this develops further and we can think of such things as contempt for authority or resistance to it. And we can go a little further and there can be such a thing as rebellion against authority. And there's never a reason for a Christian, any of you sitting here, anyone in this Pike congregation, there's no reason for us ever to rebel against authority, ever. And even though we cannot obey it, when authorities ask us to disobey God, disobey His word, we can respect and honor them, even when we break, break rank with some of their injunctions. And yet I realize, and you do, there's a lot of rebellion against authority. And I can't name all the reasons for that, but we will look at some. Sometimes there is very evident error, serious mistake, on the part of those who have authority and need to, and are responsible for how they exercise that. That does happen, it happens in churches. You had a visitor here last night in this service who met me at the forger in the back and told me of a problem that he's aware of in a congregation that he feels would change very quickly if those who are exercising that kind of oversight in that community would change their attitude. Which is a strange thing because Though I am wrong in judgment, and limited in my understanding, and weak in my ability to carry it out and exercise it. I don't have the giftedness that other people have. I might might make mistakes in my attempt to carry it out. There's no excuse and no reason for Dale to be wrong in his spirit. You know, it's, it's, it's not very hard to relate well to somebody he may have been making mistakes as he made those decisions and it was the right, not the right time for it or the right place. And it could have maybe been handled better than what it was. But when a person does that with the right spirit and with a good attitude, somehow or another, there's very little harm done. But no matter how right the thing is that we're doing when our spirit is wrong, there's very little good that can come out of it. Are we following that? We're trying to keep the hearts of our children. That's where we're going, see? You keep the hearts of those children. And we don't want to lose those hearts. At times, there's serious error in those that are in authority. and But even then, if there's rebellion comes out of that, all that means is, the person who was responsible to that authority had a wrong response. He would never have needed to respond that way. But our children, when they're little, they don't know that. They might get scared. They might wish they could hide. They might, they might hide, literally. They, they can't stay hidden because it's supper time and they are hungry. And they might hide, but it's getting dark outside and it's time for them to go to bed. And they the bed is inside and that's the only place they know to go and so they don't know what to do. And they, they, they try to sneak back in, they were outside behind some bushes. They may have even gotten on a bicycle and r- ridden away for a while. But somehow that bicycle finds its way back home. And up to a certain age they will do that. But there comes a time when they don't wanna come back. And I need to save the life of some person that might only be two years old tonight, 15 years from now, might be facing an extremely difficult situation because of something you and I have done. And it's because of that that we speak this evening. Even though we cannot change very much of what we should have done differently 15, 20 years ago. David is ample proof. We mentioned him last night of somebody who could suffer terribly at the hands of ill people Exercise authority, yet respond to it right, never be guilty of bringing upon himself those wrong responses because he handled it well when he found himself in a place of difficulty. But David made mistakes too later in life, as most of you know. So even if if authority is very tyrannical and faulty, we can have a right spirit about it and respond to it properly. But when I look at the conflicts that are in our churches these days, in many, many places, the serious problems with youth in the homes and in their congregations, and the strikes and the walkouts in the marketplaces, and the defiance against law enforcement that we have in the country, the United States of America these days. What is the cause of all this? And we want to study that here. First Kings chapter 11, verse one. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, The abomination of Moab in the hill that is toward Jerusalem and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And we keep on reading here. It's a terrible reading. It's a terrible thing. Verse eight says, And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. This is an explanation here in this 11th chapter of Solomon's apostasy. I'd like you to jump down to verse nine. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from, from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared on him twice. That means personally the Lord spoke to him on two different occasions, gave him clear direction and, and it, was, it was an outstanding spiritual experience at a time of worship for Solomon to have had that contact with God in those unique moments. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon for as much as this is done of thee? And thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in in, in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of thy hand to thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. This background is very important for the story we have here. God spoke personally to Solomon. As a result of this sin, apostasy, idol worship, God did something in the rest of this chapter that's extremely important and prepares us for what comes in the lesson of the evening and prepares three adversaries for Solomon. And you know that his kingdom was lived at a time of great peace. That's why he built the temple in the first place. He did he was not a man of war as David was he never went to war against enemy tribes or enemy nations as David did David gave to Solomon his son a kingdom that was ten times larger in geography than what he received from King Saul and that great expansion of territory was the result of his conquests over the kings of the earth and as we said last night and you heard that David never lost a battle if he went into war it was it was a uh, As they say up here, it was bad news for anybody else. David won. It was was foreknown, a foregone conclusion. I don't know why anybody had the audacity to think they could go against that man. But such is human nature. And so they did that. I don't know. think I'm going to take time tonight to look at these three adversaries that God raised up. They're listed for you in verses 14 on until the end of the chapter, but I will take time to pause here in verse 26. Would you follow along with me here as I read this section? And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephrathite of Zaretha, Solomon's servant, his mother's name is Darua, a widow woman. Even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king Solomon. Against the king, excuse me. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breach of the city of David his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. Please notice what it says about this adversary of Solomon. And Solomon seeing the young man that he was industrious. He made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. And that is the most significant bit of information you have at the end of verse 28. But this time, you Bible students know that the house of Joseph was divided at this moment into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Joseph is in charge of these very people. Uh, excuse me, Jeroboam is responsible here, put there by Solomon. It came to pass at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilohite, found him in the way and he had, him cl- he had clad himself with a new garment and they two were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord God, the King of Israel, behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, for the city the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zadonians, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Mokham, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine, and to keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. Howbeit I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I shall choose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it unto thee even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe that David my servant may have light over before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. And I will take thee and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth and shall be king over Israel. I just want to see here that I am not making a mistake here. Verse 38, and I, it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee and will walk in my ways. And please notice this conditional admonition that God has given to this young man, Jeroboam, through the prophet Ahijah and will walk in my ways, and do that which is right in my side, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel unto thee. And I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, unto Shishak king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Solomon, after this, died, and his son, Rehoboam, became the king. Several observations about this young man, Jeroboam. He was a mighty man of valor, though he was still quite young. He was very industrious. He was productive. Solomon saw that. He got things done. Solomon chose him, gave him authority, gave him charge of the house of Joseph. And we have already mentioned that that included two tribes. Two tribes of workers were under this man's authority. If you ever read the book of Numbers, how many people that consisted of, there are actually more people in the tribe of Joseph, in the combined tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, than, than were in Judah. Judah was the largest tribe. But when you take these two and put them together, this young man had authority, had a charge of a large group of people. As far as the number of men of war that were in those two tribes, it was over 70,000. And I have never had charge of 70,000 people. But 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 for, for a young man, that was a tremendous responsibility. That's who we're talking about here. Someone with that kind of giftedness, somebody with that kind of potential, somebody who exercised himself wisely and that, loved that degree of service. But God spoke to this young man via a prophet. A new garment that a prophet is wearing is now lying on the ground in 12 pieces. And the prophet tells him to pick up 10 of those 12 pieces. It was explained here what that represents. I don't think I need to take your time to explain that to you again. I read it to you in the Bible. You know what that meant. And God made a conditional promise to this young man, this promising young man, a promise that I think God makes to all of you young men here tonight and to your fathers, to your young fathers. May I hasten to say that For many of us, it is easier to keep God's external commandments than it is to keep His internal commandments. For many of us, it's easier to give a brother a kiss of charity on the cheek and take our shoes off several times a year and wash his feet. For many of us, it's easier to cover our heads with a veil. For many of us, it's easier to do the external things and obey those commandments of God than what it is to keep the internal commandments of God. It's a very strange thing for a child as he grows older to discover a daddy who is ever so faithful and ever so exacting and demanding in the externals of life, to discover that internally, there's something very, very seriously wrong with his heart. And we're not in a very good condition to transmit this to our children. We're not gonna be very effective in keeping the hearts of our child. If externally we ever sit right and we would stand up front here in those given moments of devotional and meditations and topics. And it sounds so biblically accurate, and the words were so carefully expressed. it just seems like this flu flu was flowing out of the my most excellent representation of faithfulness. But there's a young man sitting in the congregation who knows Dad very, very well. You follow that. And so something is taking place here. And I I think it's perfectly right to be careful, even the external applications that God's word so carefully outlines for us, because each one of those has a purpose. If I would have a chance to live my 74 years over again, I think I would try to be more careful Than what I was in the inner man. I suppose the majority of the mistakes that I made that cost others the most had to do with what they found inside. I suppose more people go wrong, or led wrong, or deceived into something wrong, or discouraged. or lose heart because of that than because of anything else. Somehow, as this prophet shared these things with Jeroboam, this unsavory news made its way back to King Solomon's temple. I suppose the birdies of the air that fly around and share things with others picked up on that and dropped it off someplace near the court's gate And Solomon learned about it. (coughs) I don't know if you saw it in Fox News or how it got to him. But Solomon's out to destroy this fellow. He's not going to have him around. He's scared of this news. He's scared of what he heard. He's scared of those 12 12 pieces, now 10. He's scared of what's going on here. I don't know what he's going to do with the hija. It wasn't Jeroboam's fault. But Jeroboam fleeting for his life, took off for Egypt. These same things happen today. I was never as promising as what this Jeroboam was. I never had that kind of a placement, that kind of a, a responsibility in life. But there's similarity to his story and to many stories, including my own. And something like this may have happened to you. But, but more, I'm far more concerned not about what happened to me as what I'm concerned about this, that I may have been the cause of doing something like this to another young man, another young lady. That I may be the cause of doing something like that to one of my own children. All of a sudden he's a threat. The establishment is scared of his ability and seeks to destroy his effectiveness. And there he goes into a far country. Did you ever hear of that before? And both sides are about to lose here. Dear daddy, mama, do not chase your son away from home. Pastors, Do not condemn a talented young brother who may have some needs in his life and who desperately needs a firm hand to guide him and a gentle heart to understand him. Be an instrument for his restoration and not a cause for his rebellion. You and I have that grace, we have that gift given to us. We heard that last night that we have the word of reconciliation, the word of truth, the word of life, the word of, we had several words there, salvation. We have these words, we can choose them from the brook. We can also use other words, the other kinds of stones we can pick up and sling them. Second Kings chapter 12, verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet. For three days. And then come again to me. And the people departed. Jeroboam was known in Israel. There were two tribes. Especially the new him. He had served these tribes. Worked for these tribes. They knew what he was like. Evidently not everybody went to Shechem. To make Rehoboam king. Somebody. Went further south than that. And went down to Egypt. Somebody knew the fact that he was down there. Jeroboam was in Egypt. They went down to find him. They brought him back and for evidently he was chosen to not only come back and be with these people that are going to hear an answer from Rehoboam, going to present themselves to Rehoboam, but he evidently was asked to represent those northern tribes. And maybe he was the spokesman that presented these words to Rehoboam. Solomon was gone. This request that's made to this king, Rehoboam, I would say, as I look at it here, what do you think, brothers and sisters? It looks very respectful to me. They came and presented the situation to him and they gave him a chance to respond. That They did want to hear what they had to say and, and he gracefully, at least to a certain extent, gave them the opportunity to say it. He said, come back in three days. I'm a little bit concerned about that. Come back in three days. How about if you you had a, a request from one of your young people, They there was an invitation given, there's an opportunity, there's something going on, there's something in another state, there's something going on in another, there's an activity coming up, they'd like to participate in it, but they have enough grace to come to you and talk to you about it. I guess I'd kind of advise you to say something like this. So, Thank you, son. It was very kind of you to share that with us. You know, we, Mother and I had heard a little bit about that, but we really don't have much information. And it would be okay with you if Mother and I would talk about it. And I'm going to be seeing Brother Nelson tomorrow morning. Is it okay if I just mention something to him? And I think I'll be seeing Brother Ellis later on this week. If I'd have time to pray about it a little bit and just talk to some others... But it'd be okay with you if I'd come back, we to talk, talk about this some more. And maybe in the meantime you can get more information too and I think we should look at it together. How, how, how do you feel about that? You see, as I'm standing here talking, you're listening to me, but I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to make decisions as you're listening. Do you understand that? I want us to be making decisions as we're listening. How do we plan to do it? There's a a model given here. There's a model here. And how are we going to plan to do this? At this point, the young king, Rehoboam, remembered his father. That was wise. And, And he was known for his wisdom. The wisdom of Solomon is proverbial. And not only that, but he thought of those elderly counselors who had advised Solomon, his dad, and so he consulted with them. Their well chosen words that they chose out of that rook are recorded for us in verse seven. And they spake unto him saying, if thou will be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. This advice recorded here, the Bible says two times that Rehoboam rejected that advice. It says that for us in verse 8, but he forsook the counsel of the old men. It says it for us again in verse 13, and the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. His idea of authority had influence on this decision. He wanted to impress these people with who he was. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. He, he, He made himself sound pretty big. There were young courtiers there who were raised up with Rehoboam, same age that he was. They were of a quite different persuasion from these elderly gentlemen. If you'd listen to what they have to say, you have in these words of these young men, A blueprint for rebellion. You have a blueprint here for losing the hearts of your people. Whether you're a preacher, a policeman, or a father. And they said unto him, verse 9, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people, who have spoken to me, saying, Make this joke which thy fathers did put upon us later. Young men that were grown up with him, spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people, that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shall you say unto them, My little fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins, and now whereas my father did laid you with heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke, my father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. We don't talk like that to our children, do we? The three days quickly passed. Verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him and spake unto them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father did chastise you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. How do we talk to our erring children? Are we under spirit's control in the brothers' meeting, in the members' meeting, whether we are the presiding officer in charge of the meeting, the presiding elder responsible to conduct that meeting for God's glory, for the good of the church, or whether we're one of the members sitting there It's easy to impress people with what we know as preachers. It's easy to show off what we've learned. It's easy to prove that we've had experience. It's easy to dig into the archives of our achievement and bring out those things that make any dissenting voice sound almost ridiculous in that meeting. We can talk in such a way that it gives the rest of them the impression when we're finished speaking. It gives the impression that we would have ended our little speech with these words though we said them not. I dare you to contradict what I said. We can talk to our children like that, and we know far more than our children do. They don't have the experience that we have. But we're preparing them for life. We're preparing them to someday stand where we're standing, have the responsibility that we have, be able to guide a home, make decisions, and take care of the farm, the project, the shop, like we're doing it now. We're preparing them for that. And we don't prepare them for that by impressing them with our superiority and with our strength, our bigness, our greatness, our achievement. And Rehoboam did not have that wisdom. How do we offer correction to an employee? Is there anger in the tone of my voice when I'm speaking to those who have made mistakes in life? And I'm responsible before God and for the church to do something about it before my family. Verse 15 is very important commentary in this story. It's important for you as a daddy, in relation to your children as a pastor, in relation to your church. I'm going to read this to you and then comment on it. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people for the cause was from the Lord that he might perform his saying which the Lord spake by the Sheldonite unto Jeroboam the son of Ebat, And when all Israel saw the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel. Now see to thine own house David. So Israel departed unto their tents. What would be God's commentary on well, my own exercise of authority in the home, wherever it is. So the people respond to this king. It tells us here, if I would have read Father, and I didn't, but I'll read verse 19 and leave it there. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. but I need to make a few observations before we close. The sin of King Rehoboam included more than the pride of ambition, lust for power. This man made two serious mistakes twice. He made the same mistake twice, two serious mistakes that he made twice or tells us about it twice. And so that means the Bible wants us to get this very clearly impressed into our minds. When there's repetition in the Bible, it's it's not to fill up more sheets of paper. It tells us twice that he rejected the counsel of the wise men. It tells us twice that he refused to hear the voice of his people. They heard him he will not hear them. They had to come to him and talk, but he would not listen to it. They knew they were not heard. No people will ever follow you that you will not hear. We had a serious problem at the Blue Rock that School many years ago. There was a young man in that school who did not have a, a father, certainly did not have a godly father. His mother was trying to find her way into spiritual life and she was a new Christian. And so this young man, though I, th- I, th- I think he was an outstanding young man, I, I think he had the potential of being a real bomb. This young man, really faltered in his school experience, his relationship to students and teachers and authority. He had a lot of trouble with that in life and so it wasn't on this particular day the school board members came to the school and wanted to have a meeting with this young man with me being present. I was the principal of the school. And the school building was over here on the same lot the church meeting house was, and so they decided for us, the young man, myself, and them to, to go over to the, uh, and, and they, to go over to the schoolhouse, to the meeting house, and we sat in the back bench, back there, and we sat down with this young man to visit with him. As a result of this visit, one of the school board members said to the young man, and he was 16 years of age, and he was at least as tall as I am, They said we just feel that in order to help you understand the seriousness of what's going on and we really would like to help redeem your problem and fix you to help you help you to find victory over that. We're gonna ask Brother Dale to take you back to the men's room, to the men's cloakroom back there, and we want Brother Dale to paddle you. And we're gonna stay here and wait till that's over. And I didn't know they were going to say that, and I was shaking. I I didn't know if I could do that. I I loved that young fellow, and I knew he had serious problems, and I knew it was not all his fault, and I knew he didn't have a chance, and I knew he was never taught, and I knew that it was he was at a very difficult place, and that was the responsibility they gave me, and I needed to carry that out, but I didn't know how to do it. And so he and I got up up from the bench, and we walked back to the cook room. He stood and looked at me and he said, "Uh, Brother Dale, I'm scared. I I said, tell me, why are you scared? He said, because I'm afraid I'll get mad. And if I get mad, they'll expel me from school. And and, and I don't want to leave school. I I like this school. I don't want to leave this school. I looked at him and I said, am I mad? He said, no, Brother Dale, you're not mad. I said, then you won't be either." I said, I guess the best way to do this is if you just put your hands there on that bench and and I'll try to take care of this and, and we we'll ask God to help us. He said, well, Dale, I must go to the restroom. May I go to the restroom first? I said, of course you may. These other men were kneeling in that room in there, in that assembly room, in that bench. They were, they were kneeling in prayer while we were back there. Did you get that? And, uh, and the young man came out of the restroom and he put his hands there on the bench and I, I thought he was about ready and he said, he said wait a minute. And he reached into his two back pockets. He got a handkerchief out of one pocket and he got a comb out of the other back pocket and then laid it on the bench. Then he put his hands on the bench. I didn't ask him to do that, brother. Fellas. And when that time was over, he was not expelled from the school. And now got angry. I wanted that boy in eighth grade as much as I wanted anything in life. I wanted him back in there. He, he was there to the end of the year. But there was a refusal to communicate here. There was a refusal to understand. There was a refusal in this story to consider the hearts. And what it tends to do is alienate those those people from us who really need us in this life. And so do I know how to listen? Am I willing to hear? to your tenso, oh Israel, was a predictable response in this story. You knew that was coming. Of course, you knew the story ahead of time. Any wise person would have known that this is not gonna work what this young king is doing here. I realized there were cracks in the foundation of this relationship in Israel before this ever happened. I'm not sure that Joshua did as wisely as he should have done when he referred to the distinction between Judah and Israel way, way back early, even in the book of Joshua. I suppose you realize that by the time the book of Joshua is closed, and we get to the time of the judges, there were already two serious divisions in Israel. There were two and a half tribes on one side of a river. There were nine and a half on another side. There was Judah to the south and Israel to the north. Those those two sets of divisions were already clearly marked. King Saul greatly accentuated this difference. I'm not going to take time to look into all that. That's be a big study. But David came along and had the grace, the wisdom, the humility, the charisma to unite that all back together again. And under his responsibility, this worked very, very smoothly. There was just one United Kingdom. But because of Solomon's ambitious building plans and all that he was doing there, and the yokes and the weight or the taxation or the excise that he put upon those people, this difference showed up again. And by the time Rehoboam came along, it was irreparable. Just a few lessons for us and we'll close. What we have covered here is not the end of the story. It's bad enough if it would end this way, but it didn't end this way. Within a very short time, there were two golden calves in that northern kingdom. Over 20 times in the Old Testament, you'll read about the about Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. And when you get to 2 Kings chapter 17, understand there why that northern kingdom went into captivity to Assyria before Judah did to the south. It again mentions one more time that it was because of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. Jeroboam did not need to sin because Rehoboam did, but it oftentimes happens that way. It happens that way with our children, our wayward children. So God speaks to Jeroboam, calls his attention to it, and says, I used the example of David when I gave you this kingdom. Why didn't you do as David did? But Jeroboam was afraid. He was afraid, the Bible says that. That his people would go south, go down to Jerusalem for those feast days. And so they thought they better do something to prevent that from happening. And when you find yourself being a rebel, you find yourself being responsible for rebel people, whether that's a church or whatever it is. It's a very difficult thing to try to stop a rebellion after we've all gone to our tents, O Israel. And I said that both sides lost. Israel lost every one half of their territory. Judah did. In Israel, lost worse yet, they never had one godly king in all of their history, went into captivity before Judah did. They had Baal worshipped at all kinds of things going on there, didn't stop with a calf. To be a captain, a king, or a pastor of rebellious people can have very dire consequences. Both sides greatly lost. And this whole rebellion could have been easily prevented if a young ambitious man would have heard the advice of some older gentleman. Do this, and these people will serve you. Maybe we can talk about that more some other night. Maybe we just pick up a couple points and leave it for this evening. This is no accident that this happened. Any wise person knows that the results that we read about here were predictable. It was going to happen. The trouble is that Jeroboam did not see it in his youthfulness. And as we're young fathers and we were upset that day and we had somewhat of an argument with our wives before we left home that day and we came back, we wondered if she changed yet. And before we get into the house, we find out about it, that this or that or next is going on with Junior. We're already upset. We're already not feeling very good about it. We already have this division our home, mother's feeling one way about it and I'm feeling another. We never got that resolved in the first place and now we have a child in front of us. And all that unresolved feeling and insecurity and lack of control comes pouring out upon the young man's heart. We didn't spend enough time at the brook. We weren't choosing any stones. We didn't take time in God's presence. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, daddies, but I wonder how many of you daddies ever said this to your child. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just asking you to think about it. How many of you daddies have ever said this to your children? I'm sorry, son. I, I really should take you aside and give you some correction right now, but, but, but my heart's not right, and daddy must take care of daddy first before I can help you. I can't do it right now. I've got to take care of me first, and then we'll get back and visit you. But I can't do it now. It's not an accident, my dear people, when these things happen. And I what's what? to think about this. You have the hearts of those little children with all of our with all of our being, with all of our might, we're going to keep those hearts. We're going to shepherd that block. We're going to shepherd this, that family. The young man may have made a very serious mistake in school. He may have made a very serious mistake when the youth outing he may be very, very wrong in something that he did, but he's the son of your love. He's created in your own image. You have an opportunity to lead that son to God, lead that son in a holy way, to direct his steps. If you can't do anything else, you can humble your heart before him. If you can't do anything else, you can on your knees and Pray. you can't go and do anything else, you can say, son, could we talk about this? Together we must get through this. And I, I want to promise you all my love, all my help to help you develop into the man that God wants you to be. So you can count on your daddy. Here I am. Let's stand for prayer. So dear Father, we've heard a, a very important story that you have recorded for us So, in such detail. It's all written out there for us to see it so clearly. This is how people go astray, and this is what turns people a wrong way. And we all have tendencies that are wrong within us without these evil things happening. We all have wayward tendencies within us without those That extra incentive of violent reactions or anger or prideful comments or rejection being thrown into the face. We all have our own tendencies to go wrong. We need all the guidance and care we can get. Save our children, Father, tonight. The little ones that are in our laps and the ones that are 40 years old. Save our children tonight and our grandchildren. Give us that heart that will turn their hearts towards us, and we can turn our hearts towards them, lest the Lord would come and smite the earth with a curse, lest there be a great drought in the land, and lest Israel would all go to their tents, and lest there be golden calves set up, where once a a glowing altar and incense and showbread and an ark of the covenant propitiatory was there to worship God and meet him in the beauty of holiness. And Don't let any golden calves come in the lives of our dear children, Father. Don't let us be the cause of any rebellion in our churches, in our homes. Forgive us and save us for any wrong that we have done and give us the determination to do something about it in the days to come what little we have left to do. To be glorified in these meetings this week, dear Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.